0: us to really stop and think and reevaluate and maybe change our practices. For instance, have you ever been in a near accident when you're driving your car? Probably all of us have had one of those sort of startling circumstances where you didn't actually have a crash, but it was close. I mean, it was scary close. And because of that, you kind of said, man, I got to be more careful. I got to drive more carefully. And so maybe you start paying more attention to this to your speed and your and your observation of traffic situations because that situation startled you and made you think, I need to be more careful. Or it may have been a situation where you had a, a serious physical illness and based upon the fact that you had that problem, and maybe you got well but made you stop thinking, you know, I need to change some things about my life, maybe even spiritually I need to make some changes, uh, be more faithful and do better. Uh, those are the kind of things that, those circumstances, something a little bit out of the ordinary, maybe something that startles us or, or wakes us up and, and provokes us to make some changes. Those are the kind of things that I want to key in on today, and we want to talk about a Bible example where that sort of thing happened. In the in the Scriptures, we know about the captivity of God's people, specifically the nation of Judah, as they were carried away into Babylonian captivity. After some time, God... by Prophetic promise allowed them to return uh, to Judah and to Jerusalem. The first group of exiles that came back were led by a man named Zerubbabel. They had a lot of hardships. It was difficult. It took them 16 years to accomplish the rebuilding of, of the temple in Jerusalem. And it was not nearly as magnificent as the one that had been there before. But after 16 years, they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. After that, a priest by the name of Ezra came, led another group of exiles back, and under Ezra's leadership, there was more emphasis put upon spiritual things and being the kind of people spiritually that God wanted them to be. Ninety years after the first group of exiles returned, a man named Nehemiah led another group back. And the emphasis of Nehemiah's work was upon building the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Although the people had been back for decades, and although they had reconstructed a temple, and although they were worshiping somewhat and had, had that worship renewed under Ezra, the walls of the t- city of Jerusalem were still just in ruins, and the city was still basically a ruins. And it was, it was a pretty sad situation. When Nehemiah learned about it, he sought permission, was granted permission to lead a group of men back, and they rebuilt the walls of the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 6 of Nehemiah, verse 15, it says they built the walls in 52 days. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a lesson about them. They had a mind to work. Do you remember under Nehemiah's leadership, the people had a mind to work, and they were able to accomplish great things. Well, as a result of that, that was one of those sort of startling situations. That was one of, the, one of those kind of circumstances that made them sort of sit up and take notice and say, man... There's something amazing here, and it, it probably should affect us. We, we ought to think differently. We ought to do differently. And that, uh, that accomplishment prompted them to stop and think. And that's the text that was read to us earlier by Jacob in Nehemiah chapter 8. And I want to emphasize that text to us, Dave. you'll turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm not going to read those hard names that Jacob read. Jacob, I told you I'd get even with you for what you did. And, and and I got even by making you read those names. Uh, I'm not going to read those names. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, let's look again real quickly. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand, and the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Skip down to verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7 at the end says, these men caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place and they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And so the circumstance of this amazing accomplishment, rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem, prompted the people to say, let's stop and think about things in general. Let's make sure we're doing everything the way that it ought to be. It was it was really a great situation we want to see what lessons that we could learn from that. The lesson we're going to call a preacher, a pulpit, and the people. Ezra was the preacher. He was standing on a pulpit of wood. By the way, you know, you wonder why we ever have preachers standing on pulpits? Uh, here's actually a biblical precedent for that. He was standing on a pulpit above the people so he could effectively speak to the crowd of people. But the real emphasis of this text is upon the people themselves, and the attitude that they had on this special occasion. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Thanks for being here. We're glad that you've come. It's not a very pleasant weather day today, but it's certainly a great privilege to be able to be together with God's people, to worship Him, to study from His Word, and we're glad that you're here. For any and all who are visiting with us, thanks for coming. Come back, ask questions. We'd be glad to study with you. We're simply glad to see you all this morning. Thanks for being here. Let's talk about some of the lessons we could learn. As we said a couple weeks ago, we had a lesson from Nehemiah where they had a mind to work and built those walls of the city of Jerusalem in just 52 days. After they'd completed that, now they have this special meeting where Ezra is going to proclaim to them the law of God. The first thing that I'd like to emphasize to you is that this meeting was called by the people. It wasn't called by Ezra. It wasn't called by Nehemiah. It wasn't the priests who had called this meeting. It wasn't the city father's. Who had called to me? The people themselves requested this meeting. Notice there in chapter 8, verse 1, all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. This meeting took place at the water gate. If you were to look at a map of the city of Jerusalem, the water gate is in the southeast corner of the city of Jerusalem. The temple is in the northeast corner. Uh, of, of the city of Jerusalem. And so this special meeting that was called wasn't even held at the temple grounds. And it wasn't the, the, the leadership who called the meeting. Notice, they called, the people gathered themselves. They spake to Ezra and said, bring us the law of God. I think that's interesting, that it was at their request. It turned out to be a, a protracted meeting. It ended some days later in the observance of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And verse 17 tells us that that feast hadn't been observed since way back, centuries before, when uh, under the leadership of Joshua, they had observed the Feast of the Tabernacle. And so it had been a long time they hadn't kept that feast. This meeting that they called ended in the observance of the Feast of the Tabernacles. But the key thing is they wanted it. It was at their request. It was their desire. You know... We should be a kind of people who want to know the Word of God, who we have a great interest in joining together to study, to assemble, to worship. I'm, I'm concerned when we find that there are some Christians who don't have that desire themselves, that they have to constantly be prodded and, and pushed and encouraged and, and constantly sort of herded up to make sure that they will come to assemble, to worship, to study. Uh, that's a concerning thing. You know, for all of us who are the people of God, it ought to be our desire to come together with others to study from His Word. We shouldn't have to be constantly provoked and and sort of urged on, begged and pleaded with in order to assemble to study God's Word. It should be our desire. I remember when our kids were young, and I imagine most of you who are parents had the same sort of circumstance. Maybe it was a nice day, nice summer day, the kids outside playing, maybe... Uh, on Wednesday evening, and know, said, "Come on, kids, you got to come in. We got to get get, our, get cleaned up and change our clothes, and go to church." And I can remember on uh, a few occasions the kids saying, "Do we have to go? Do we have to go?" They were they were having fun playing, just like to stay outside and keep playing with their friends in the neighborhood. Do we have to go? Of course, while we always tried to answer, well, we well we want to go. It's our privilege to go. You know, we try to instill that in our kids. I want to tell you, there's some adults apparently who still have the opinion that we have to go, you know, do I have to go to church? Do I have to go to church on Sunday night? Do I have to go to church on Wednesday night? Do I have to? Well, as long as we have the opinion that we are doing it out of obligation, sort of dreaded obligation even, we're not going to be very effective in being consistent with our attendance. In this case, the people called the meeting. They were the ones who wanted it. And we can certainly admire them for that. And we need to imitate them in that. When the meeting began, there are several things to observe about the meeting itself. First of all, the people were not in a big hurry to wind this thing up. I think this is another sign of their good attitude. Notice there in verses 2 and 3, Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women, those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Notice this meeting took place from morning until midday. This was the initial meeting. Um, they, they weren't in a hurry to say, we gotta get done here. We gotta get out of here. We gotta finish this up. We gotta go have lunch after all, you know. There, there's no indication of that. I'll tell you, I think that this is a good sign on their part, and I believe it is something that we should be uh, imitating. People who love God, uh, should be the way these people were. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not always the case. Uh, Now, I'm not arguing that we always need long sermons uh, and protracted services. Uh, I don't think that's the case. But I do think that if a, a service goes over a little longer than usual, it shouldn't be completely disconcerting to us. We shouldn't be just absolutely upset if the preacher preaches a little longer than usual and the service lasts a little longer than normal. That shouldn't be the case. Years ago, in a place where we were, there were uh, some folks who wanted to make sure we got out on time. Uh, at, at that particular congregation, we didn't start the worship service till 11 o'clock in the morning. So it didn't start until 11. But there were some members of that congregation who were determined that if, if the, the whole thing wasn't come over by 12 o'clock, it was a disaster, you know. Uh, so we, 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 we started at 11, but they were determined we had to be out the door by 12 o'clock. Well, sometimes you just can't get that job done. So, what was suggested was, how about we start at 10.30? We'll start the assembly at 10.30 and then almost certainly we'll be done by 12 o'clock. You know what was sad? The people who were so certain that we had to be done by 12 were, were also against starting at 10.30. They didn't want to start any earlier. They didn't want to be sure to be done on time. Well, what did that convey? What did you get from that? Well, you get the idea that these people just want to spend a minimum amount of time. Just, just as, no more than you have to, you know. Just a certain block of time, no more, no less. You don't see that uh, in these people in the days of Nehemiah. They were not in a hurry, and I think that conveys a good attitude on the part i think it's the kind of attitude that we ought to have in regards to our coming together our assemblies and our worship and so forth we don't need to be in such a hurry what we're doing here is important we shouldn't just have a mind to rush through it another thing about these people is that they were attentive to the message that was being preached they they were really interested in that set of verses verses two and three that we just read did you notice the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law They were paying attention. They were really interested. They weren't just going through the motions. They weren't just filling a spot. They were really interested in what was being said. I think it's also interesting in verse 7, it says, the people stood in their place. They stayed put. They listened. They paid attention to what was being done might relate that to our assemblies today, you know. In, in our assemblies today, we got we got a water fountain back there in the back and we got some restrooms there in the back. And uh, I'm thankful we don't have a big problem with people going in and out and, and uh, you know, making their way to the water fountain and to the bathrooms. Uh, I th- sometimes people do, and I'm sure that that's necessary. But I've been places where there's almost a constant parade, especially of the young people running back to the back and, getting a drink of water and going to the restrooms and so forth. Uh, That wasn't the case in this special meeting called by the people in the days of Nehemiah. They stayed in their place. And somebody said, well, they didn't have drinking fountains, of course. They couldn't leave the assembly to go out to the drink. Well, you know, from where they were, they're again looking at a map of the city of Jerusalem. From where they were, the Brook Kidron wasn't just very far away and they could have gone out there and, and, uh, you know, sort of killed some time because they were bored with what was happening at the preaching service. No, they did not do that. Uh, It reflected, again, upon their attitude. They wanted to learn. They were interested. They were attentive to the message that was being preached. And furthermore, in regards to these people, we know they were, were not in a hurry. They were attentive to what was being preached. And they had a reverent attitude as well. This was special, this was important, and this had to do with Jehovah God. Notice in verses 4 through 6, Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. By the way, there's the preacher in the pulpit, right? And we talked a minute ago about the idea of a, the preacher standing above the audience for an effective uh, ability to address all who were assembled. That's what he did. They specially constructed a pulpit of wood for the purpose And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with the faces to the ground. Now, as you think about that, I I, I think you'd have to agree with me that there was a sure measure of respect, reverence being uh, demonstrated by the way the people acted in this assembly. I know I don't have to tell you this, but in our modern day, there's a lot of emphasis being placed upon casualness in worship, you know. People want it all to be casual, laid back, you know, uh, nothing special about it, so to speak. Well, this is special. What we're doing here is important, and we ought to have a a reverent attitude toward what we're doing in this assembly. And reverence is represented in lots of ways, but Uh, we need to not imagine that this should be done at a very casual, laid-back level. Uh, There there should be a degree of respect and reverence for the importance of what we're doing here. These people demonstrated that, and I think that we can demonstrate that too, and we should. I, I hope all of us who are Christians understand that this is a special thing we're doing here, and we ought to have a degree of respect for the activity that we're engaged in. So the people had a reverence. Just as a side note, I might mention verse Uh, 8. This would be a side note to preachers, all of us who preach the gospel from time to time, need to imitate what Ezra and the others did. It says, they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and they gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's our job. When we teach and preach, we're supposed to do it distinctly, giving the sense, helping to understand. Though, uh, those who hear the message uh, are, are to be assisted in that way by those who present the message. Ezra and the others that day did a good job in that regard. I'm always reminded of the story of a fellow who went to a religious service and the preacher preached a lesson. Uh, the next day or so, he was talking to his friend, and his friend said, well, what did the preacher preach about? And the guy said, I don't know. He didn't say. <laughs> you know, that's a sad commentary on a sermon. If you leave there, not understand. What was it about? What was the point what was what was the what lesson was delivered if you walk away from a, a, a sermon or a Bible study and you don 't comprehend and you 've not been helped to understand the message then there 's something wrong with the one who's teaching and preaching Ezra and the others here did a good job, but the people had a reverence for the occasion they had certainly right attitudes, not in a hurry, attentive, really listening to what was being said and reverent toward the occasion that was happening well. We see then some of the results of this. It had a lasting effect upon them. First of all, the people upon hearing the message were tender-hearted in regards to that. They were moved by the occasion and by the words that were spoken. Now, notice here in verse 9, it says, Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. You see what's happening here? Uh, they came to understand some things that they had not been doing properly. They're going to change that and they're going to make corrections, but they understand that they had not been doing everything that they should have. And they, and they were emotional about it. They wept when they heard the words of the law. But I think we could observe that they did not let their emotions take the place of understanding. They understood, and then they were emotional about what they had learned. You know, some people sort of get that backwards. Some people get their emotions all worked up first, and then that makes it hard for them to understand the facts of the message that they should understand. These people were emotional. That's good. You know, sometimes I think we're not emotional enough. They were emotional about their worship to God they wept at the hearing of the word so they weren't unemotional but as we've been studying this text understanding came first and emotions resulted from that that's the proper order it's not to say we should be unemotional we should be emotional in our service to God but understanding comes first and then the emotion should follow you know it would have been easy for these people to get mad you know Because the message basically said, you all haven't been doing what you're supposed to do. You all have been failing in some of your responsibilities to God. And it would have been possible for them to sort of bow up and say, what do you mean, tell us we're wrong? They could have gotten mad at the preaching of the word. uh, Because this really, in a sense, we sometimes use the expression, it stepped on their toes. And so they could have been upset, but they were not. Uh, They wept. They had a tender heart when they heard the message that was being preached to them. In addition to their tender heartedness, I think we see that they were willing to make needed changes. It's one thing to be touched by a message. It's another thing to truly react to it and make necessary changes. In verse 13, beginning, he says, On the second day, we said this was this turned out to be a protracted meeting. It continued for several days. On the second day were gathered to, uh, together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, and to Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. So as this message is being proclaimed to them, part of the message came across the section in the law of Moses that said that at a certain time every year, What they were supposed to do was get out of their houses and build temporary structure, booths, we would say maybe tents or shelters, and dwell in them for several days during this Feast of Tabernacles, it was called. The purpose of that was to help them remember the time in their history when God had led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and they traveled toward the promised land and they weren't in permanent structures. They were in tents, tabernacles, booths, as it were. And this feast of the tabernacles was to help them to remember that time in their history and the deliverance that God had brought to them. But they had not been doing this for a long, long time. We're talking about several hundred years. They had not been observing this feast of the tabernacles. It was taught in the law of Moses, but they had not been doing it. Well, when, it, when Ezra and the others are reading the law of God to them, and they come across this that says they're supposed to be observing the feast of the tabernacles, what was their reaction Ah, well, that's, that's not that important. That seems to be a minor thing. To me, I think that's probably not very significant. Uh, just this last Thursday night on the virtual Bible study, we dealt with that attitude some people have, you know, where they, they sort of arbitrarily determine what they think is important and what is not. Uh, you know, that's a, salvi- that's, that's a salvation issue, but this is not a salvation issue. That was the topic that we had Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. Some people are of that mind. And they could have had that attitude. Saying, you know, I don't think that Feast of the Tabernacle is a very important thing. I don't think we have to bother with that. But they didn't. As soon as they... Notice, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses. They found the command. And when they found the command, they made the change and began to observe something that they were supposed to be observing but had not been observed for several hundred years in their history. That's the way we've got to be. We've got to be tender-hearted to the message And when we find out anything that we're doing that is not as it ought to be, we've got to be willing to change. They were. And certainly they are commendable in that. What about you this morning? Do you realize that there are things about your life that's not right? Maybe you've never even obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, never become a true Christian, a child of God. You know the facts. Are you willing to change? Or is it so that maybe you're a Christian already, but you have not been living right? and You know that. You've learned that. Learning it's one thing. Being will, willing to make the changes is another. These people were willing to change when they learned the truth of God. And finally, look at what resulted because of that. The result was they experienced a great joy. In verse 17, where we were just reading, notice that they, this had not been done since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. And so they did it, And the result was there was very great gladness. Faithful service to God brings joy to us. And we can know that joy as well. We don't live by the same law that they lived by. They lived under the law of Moses. We live under the law of Christ. We understand that. But their attitude and their approach to this whole situation is as ours ought to be. They were attentive to the law. They were reverent in worshiping God. They were tender-hearted to the message. They were willing to change. And when they did those things, it produced great joy in their lives. We can know that joy too. When we've come to understand what God wants us to do, if we will humbly submit and obey Him, it can and will bring joy in our lives as well. What's your situation this morning? Are you right with God? Do you need to obey that gospel plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sin? We're ready to assist you. We'd also be glad to study more with you. If you need to make that decision, we will hope you'll make it without delay. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.